Thanks for listening to the Inner Life Podcast. Be sure to join us every weekday at 11 a.m. Central on Relevant Radio or on the Relevant Radio app. Find your local Relevant Radio station at RelevantRadio.com or stream us live every day on the Relevant Radio app. It's time to set out on the pathway to healing and light. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. If you have questions or concerns about your faith journey, if you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. One heart at a time. Welcome to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Welcome to The Inner Life here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm Josh Raymond, and I hope this is a good day for you. I hope uh, that you... Are, are having a wonderful day um, as we're here celebrating the Feast of the Exaltation of the Holy Cross. Uh, now, as we begin our program today, what's your favorite album? Favorite popular music album? Music is now more often about singles, getting sa- sales through like iTunes or paying subscriptions through apps like Spotify or things like that. But I grew up in the age of albums. And my brother, he, when we were young, he still preferred listening to albums on vinyl. My sister and I, we made that transition over to cassette tapes. But regardless of whether it was an LP or a cassette, I grew up listening to those full albums. And when it comes to some of the greatest albums of all time, knowing that music tastes, of course, are subjective, still there are some that that are just pretty much universally agreed upon as being fantastic, just Hands down, amazing albums. Things like Abbey Road by the Beatles, Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys, Songs in the Key of Life, that's from Stevie Wonder, A Night at the Opera by Queen, Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd. These are albums that I've listened to over and over and over. And the list could go on of what might be one of those greatest albums. But another album that I pull up from time to time, actually more than from time to time, I pull it up pretty regularly. It's The Stranger by Billy Joel. And I think that this album, The Stranger, is Billy Joel at his very best. There are songs on the album like Moving Out, Just the Way You Are, Scenes from an Italian Restaurant, Vienna. Billy Joel, he's released 13 albums during his career. And all of them, all of them have good songs on them. Not every song's great, but you know there are good songs on every single album. But again, I think if you're going to, if you've never listened to Billy Joel before, you've never really dived into his catalog, The Stranger is the album that you should start with. And the one song there, the love song, Just the Way You Are that's on that album, he has a line in the lyrics that says, what will it take till you believe in me the way that I believe in you? And that sounds so hopeful, so trusting, right? But I have to believe that Billy Joel, he finds it hard these days to trust people, even people close to him. And that's because he had someone close to him who took advantage of his trust. Billy Joel, he had asked his brother-in-law, Frank Weber, to help manage his finances. Along with being brother to Billy's wife, Frank was a close friend and godfather to Billy's daughter. And even after Billy's marriage fell apart, he got a divorce. Frank was still that trusted friend. 
Unfortunately, Frank abused that trust to the tune of almost $90 million. Yeah, you heard right, nine zero, ninety million million. Frank took millions and millions of Billy's money, and he spent it without his knowledge, without his permission. He even mortgaged the copyrights to Billy Joel's songs for $15 million. All of these different things done without Billy's knowledge. So, of course, it ended up in court. Billy Joel, he was represented by this legal firm that had dealt with other cases of fraud against major recording artists. But the lead attorney, his name is Leonard Marks, he said, at least at that time, their private investigation into the, into the fraud that was perpetrated by Frank Weber, it was the worst case that he had ever seen in the music industry. Ultimately, Billy Joel, he ended up settling out of court for $8 million. Uh, that's still a lot, of course, but that's far less than the $90 million that he lost by trusting Frank Weber. Now, hopefully, you've never experienced losing millions of dollars. If you're like me, well, <laughs> you would have had to have millions of dollars to lose it. Uh, you know, a lot of us probably in that same camp there. But it doesn't really take millions of dollars to feel betrayed, does it? If someone promises you something, if they promise they're going to deliver on maybe some sort of good or service, or maybe they're saying, oh, if you invest this, you can get a return, even if it's a small amount, you'll get more than what you put in. Might be as little as 20 or 50 or $100. Even that small amount, which for many of us isn't all that small. If someone takes advantage of us, it impacts our ability to trust them and then also to trust anybody else in the future. And it, it, it of course, doesn't have to be in matters of finance only. It can be in so many areas of life where we experience this. And we all have these kinds of moments, encounters where someone takes advantage of us or they deceive us. Or maybe they just let us down over and over. And if you've been deceived or you've been let down by someone in your past, then you might find yourself being suspicious of other people. Can you really trust them? And not only other people, this can color our ability to trust God, to take God at his word. And this is what we want to talk about today here during this hour of the inner life. How we can have that total trust in God, even when we find it hard to trust, even when we have been hurt or deceived in the past, because God's not going to deceive us. And our spiritual director for the day today here on The Inner Life, I'm glad to welcome to the program Sister Faustina Maria Pia. Uh, this is actually kind of a first for us here on The Inner Life, because typically we have priests that join us. We even have that in the opening uh, words for the show. Uh, the voiceover that you hear there, our priests are here to help one heart at a time is what it says. But of course, we know that we can receive spiritual direction from others. And Sister Faustina, I'm very glad to welcome her to the program. She has been a sister with the Sisters of Life for 13 years. She ministers at Holy Respite. It's a house in Manhattan for women who are pregnant or recently pregnant. And she's also the author of the book, Jesus, I Trust in You, a 30-day personal retreat with the Litany of Trust. And that's available through Emmaus Road Publishers. Uh, sister Faustina, welcome to The Inner Life. So glad to have you here. Thank you so much. It's a great honor. I'm very grateful to be with you today. Well, since this is your first time here on the show, maybe we can start off just getting to know you uh, for a couple of minutes. Uh, can you tell us a little about yourself? First of all, your name, 
Sister Faustina Maria. Is that, did you take that when you entered the Sisters of Life? Yes, my name, it does um, deeply resonate with the spirituality of trust and mercy. So I, the beautiful thing is I actually received that name at birth, Faustina. My mother, she had fallen away from the church growing up. Her family didn't practice. And she discovered a pamphlet of divine mercy when she was a teenager and put it aside, wasn't attracted really to anything that had to do with God at that time. But um, one day it was really pure grace. She opened that pamphlet and read a few words. It was an excerpt from St. Faustina's diary about Jesus really inviting anyone, no matter what was on their heart, um, uh, to come to him, to draw, not to fear him. Uh, that his love was so great that he would wash away their sins. And she experienced this intense and really honest experience of God's love for her, unconditional love. And it changed her life in that moment. She knew she had a father who cared about her. She knew that she had a dignity that no one had spoken to her before. And so she tucked that away and started this relationship with St. Faustina, who wasn't a saint at that point, and uh, chose to name me after her. So I grew up knowing about this St. Faustina, although... To be honest with you, reading her diary, if you're not uh, familiar with it, it can be um, quite bold. You know, the Lord allows her to suffer intense things. He um, is visiting purgatory and hell. She's a mystic. And so I didn't feel very close to her until um, many years later um, when I was hitting, um, you know, difficulties in my own life. Sometimes I would open the diary. And every time I open the diary of San Faustina, I have to say, um, even though there was very intense things, what stuck out to me the most was Jesus's tenderness to her, his compassion for her, the honesty in which he saw the things that were difficult in her life, and he wasn't negating any of them and was never belittling her pain, but he believed in her capacity to love um, in the midst of those things and, and his capacity to help her to receive that love, which would make her so strong and be united to him. And that was always a real word to me, that nothing in her life um, kind of held her back from the capacity of this greatness that he saw in her. And it gave me courage in a new way. And I started to really connect with this patron saint. And as a sister, I then asked to keep that name uh, because it really resonated. I was one who was in need of mercy, and I was in need of knowing how to receive that mercy um, and really live true to it and the dignity that it spoke to me of. So... I definitely, I didn't think I was going to become a sister growing up. I have a large family. I'm the youngest of eight. I have a twin sister and really dreamed of marriage. But my heart was so restless, especially in college, that I knew there was something that I was missing um, when I was making my plans for life. And it got to the point I had gone to school for nursing that I came home from a clinical one day, really tired and exhausted. And um, yeah, I could not fall asleep. And I finally had a really honest conversation with the Lord and said, you know, I know that you've made me to be happy. I've been hearing this my whole life, but I'm not happy. Um, and just in case you forget, like, do you just, like this, these are all the desires that I have in my heart. Like, are, are you listening? Are you there? Are you, are you hearing me? And it was a complete grace in that moment. I knew I had to give each of those desires to Jesus, to hand them over, so to speak, because I was holding on so tightly. I couldn't hear what his plans were. I couldn't, um, yeah, I wasn't allowing uh, someone to be leading me. I was only charting my own course. And as I gave those desires to him, I felt a stillness in my heart for the first time in my life and a clarity of his voice speaking to me in my heart, not with my ears, but in my heart. I heard him say, I want you for myself. 
And I knew exactly what that meant. <laughs> and even though it was a, a scary thought in some senses, because I, I didn't know what it was going to be like to be a sister, if that really was going to answer um, the deepest desires of my heart, I was so convicted of his love for me in that moment that in the midst of my struggles and sins, he was, he was desirous of my heart, you know? And so I took a leap of faith and um, really began to discern more seriously and entered, and I have not regretted it a single bit. This is uh, completely the fulfillment of my heart. I, I absolutely love my life. I love that he has me serving with a charism in a community that really is being attacked in our culture, the dignity of the human person, and this beautiful message of God's unconditional love, this mercy, that I, the spirituality that I love, that deeply correlates with the, the dignity of the human person, that no sins, no feelings, no suffering, um, yeah, can separate us from the love of God. Actually, in those sufferings, we can receive love more deeply and know it more concretely because we know it's not based on what we've done or what we've earned, but we've, it's based on a God that simply has its unconditional love and is inviting us uh, to spend eternity with Him, which really shows a whole nother level of our dignity. So it has been a, a privilege and a grace to uh, experience the, the, the journey that I have and uh, one that I wake up every morning very excited to continue. That's beautiful, sister. Uh, Thanks for giving us some background on yourself. There's a lot that you said there, too, that, you know, just so naturally ties into the topic that we're talking about today, about how we can develop that trust, uh, that true trust in God. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, you mentioned a word that I think sometimes can be used interchangeably. Uh, You said, I decided to take this leap of faith. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when we talk about having faith or having trust, you know, those I, I'm, I'm a big fan of defining terms here <laughs> during this hour, just because I, I, I think, you know, the, the better we understand what we believe, it allows us to then take that understanding and apply it, you know, and so we can live mm-hmm. out what we understand if we understand it better. So having trust in God, having faith in God, do you think that those are truly synonymous, or are there, are there subtle differences when we use those two words, trust and faith? Yes, I do think there's some subtle differences, but um, I can say I'm not a theologian, of course, but I, I did, as I was diving into this topic, um, try to look up, you know, is trust defined in the, the Catechism or in Thomas Aquinas? And of course it is not. Um, it's more of a relational term than it is uh, a strict theological term. Um, faith is this ascent to the person of Jesus, um, which is, um, I think, you know, the Gospel of John, I guess, written in the Greek, the word that he uses for belief and faith and trust are, are kind of the same words. There's been an ongoing debate about this. Um, I can say that, um, yeah, I can help kind of flesh it out a little bit by speaking about trust and say that being a relational term, you know, this ability to, you know, being able to rely on somebody, depend on somebody, it um, is a real foundationship for relationship that, you know, we can't really have a relationship of depth if we don't trust a person. Um, and especially with, in regards to, you know, our life with Christ, which is, um, you know, a relationship that brings us into eternity and uh, the means of our salvation, you know, our faith as Catholics, we believe it's not a set of rules, it's actually a relationship. And to have that relationship have depth, it really needs this, this aspect of trust. And when I describe trust, I like to use an image um, because I'm very visual, and I, but I do think it helps 
um, and that will help for the rest of this conversation too, but I like to picture the human heart um, as, you know, having two openings, one on each side. So we are made, kind of written into our very being, is this, this large capacity to receive, so an opening to receive love and receive our dignity and our identity in that very love of God. And then on the other side of the heart, this large opening to then be um, a gift of love, to pour out our love, to share that love with the world, to give that love back to God um, and to those around us and serving. So this really points to that our origin and identity lie outside of us, and that makes us feel very um, weak and unvulnerable, like a vulnerability that um, uh, we experience as a poverty sometimes, that I would rather have the security or the so-and-so, the, the, the control to define myself. I don't want to receive that identity. And I want to be very choosing and um, self-reliant about giving that because people have hurt me, as you were mentioning in the beginning, uh, to really find happiness and wholeness interiorly on my own terms, right, without having to um, open my heart to another who could hurt me, you know. So I believe that trust, if we're looking at this image, is the capacity to really keep those openings of our heart wide open to the flow of God's love. Um, because many things in this world are broken, including our own hearts, our own capacity to love in a faithful way. Um, but if we only look around us in the brokenness of a world with, with sin, um, we are tempted hundreds of times a day to, to shut our hearts down and to live isolated without that life-giving flow of love that we were actually created to and what actually makes us come alive. And trust, and trusting God specifically, is what kind of keeps those wide, those openings wide open, saying, well, no matter what people are saying to me or how they're treating me, I am open to receiving this love of God that is always accessible to me, that is always being poured out on me. And when I receive that and learn how to receive that, then no matter what my response is, when I give my love, I'm always going to be generous. I can always um, have a sense of, of gift of self that Jesus shows us um, so beautifully in his life, no matter if people hate him or betray him, right? There, there's This flow is almost unstoppable when we know how to connect ourselves with this, this God love. Um, so trust is essential for our thriving in this relationship with the Lord and really contributes to the, the wellness of the whole person, I believe. Uh, this freedom that we were yeah. made for, it's not only really possible, but we were made for it. Well, and I, I really like that image, too, of the heart, and you talk about that flowing, uh, that it has to be received and that we give then after we've received, because, you know, there's that that uh, famous phrase that we have in our faith, you can't give what you don't have. So if if that receiving part of your heart for that trust, you know, that image that you gave us, if we don't have anything there... Nothing can be given away. But on the other hand, if we only receive and we refuse to give out, you're also going to stop. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, essentially, you're talking about cardiac arrest right there. And, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that that's going to kill the body um, in a physical sense. But it also is then going to give problems to the spiritual life if mm-hmm. you're not allowing that to freely flow through you. I think that's such a beautiful image. Again, our mm-hmm. spiritual director today, uh, Sister Faustina Maria Pia, she is with the Sisters of Life, and she ministers at a house in Manhattan called Holy Respite. It's a house for women who are pregnant or recently pregnant. Today we're talking about how we can understand what it means to trust in God, how we can grow in that trust. And how has that come about in your life? When have you had to demonstrate 
in your life that you truly trust God, that you uh, you will believe that he'll, he'll provide for whatever you need? How has God proven his faithfulness to you? How have you been able to receive that gift, that trust from God, but also then in that relationship to then bring that to others in the world, to bring God, bring Christ to others? Uh, maybe trusting God is really difficult for you, and you'd like some advice and some insight on how you might be able to Uh, Turn that around in your life. Our phone number here to call into the studio is 888-914-9149-888-914-9149. Our email address is innerlifeatrelevantradio.com. Sister, we need to take a short break here, but when we come back, let's talk about those role models that we have in our lives, those relationships where we are, we, we have somebody who takes advantage of us, who breaks that trust, who betrays our trust, and how we can move past maybe some of those hurts that we've had and really understand what God is like and uh, doesn't allow that to to color our image, our understanding of God. Again, we'll be right back with Sister Faustina Maria here on The Inner Life. You're listening to Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. This hour sponsored by Ave Maria Mutual Funds, where financial goals are aligned with pro-life values and fund decisions are based on investment fundamentals designed to preserve and grow wealth without violating moral beliefs. More information at AveMariaFunds.com. Welcome back to The Inner Life here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm Josh Raymond, and I'm joined today by Sister Faustina Maria Pia. She is a sister with the Sisters of Life, and she is also the author of the book, Jesus, I Trust in You, a 30-day personal retreat with the Litany of Trust. And this is what we're talking about. We're talking about how we can trust God and how have you been able to do that in your life? Maybe trusting God is really difficult for you. It's something where you want to, but maybe you've been hurt in the past. And uh, it, it's hard for you not only to trust God, but to trust anybody around you. Maybe you've been able to make it past that. What has helped you to look beyond past betrayal or deceit by someone in, in your life and get to a place where you are able to trust God? Again, our phone number, 888-914-9149, So, Sister, let's talk about when we have had somebody take advantage of us, mm-hmm. especially if this is somebody who is in some sort of position of authority, uh, a mm-hmm. parent, a teacher, a priest, a mentor, a coach, you know, whatever that, that role might be. If that's the person who betrays our trust, it's almost certainly going to have this profound impact on our ability to trust others in the future. And I think that role of parent might be the biggest one. Um, you know, the individual cases, of course, can, can, can uh, you know, be different there. But when it comes to compromising our ability to trust in God, because God has revealed himself, at least with the first person of the Trinity as being a father— if we have a parent that has really let us down or they've been deceitful with us, then we bring that into our perception of what God must be like. And that's completely understandable. It's also mm-hmm. extremely unfortunate. But if I'm somebody who is in this situation, how do I let go of personal experience with that poor role model in my life and be able to kind of step back and, and come to a true and accurate understanding of 
who God really is, what he's really like, and what it really means to understand him as a father? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. And I just, first of all, I want to say, you know, I'm very sorry for anybody who's listening and has experienced something like this. I think in, in varying degrees, we all have had our trust betrayed, and it is very acutely painful when it is someone, like you said, so um, close as a parent that you were entrusted to as a child. And um, really had a lot less ability to distinguish what was right or what was, was you know, an injustice of sorts, you know. And to say that um, the real truth, there's many truths here to be spoken, but that God offers himself to each of us personally, um, that even though this does affect our ability to trust, um, it, it doesn't change the fact that God does offer himself, which is the fullness of himself, his love, his capacity, his strength. Um, his goodness to restore what has been broken and to really create a place for it to thrive, that capacity to love. I think of a lot of the saints, um, if you look at their lives, each of them had to learn how to trust, and none of them um, is without a good example of living that trust. Um, some of them, especially with their parents, I think of, you know, Margaret Costello, who was, uh, you know, a cripple, and she was rejected and lied to, even abandoned by her parents. Um, and, you know, even a little bit less of an extreme example, Pierre Giorgio, who had a strained relationship with his parents, he always respected them, but his dad was very harsh and critical, and, and he really couldn't rely on him, and his mom, very high strong, and really was not allowing him to live his faith life, um, kind of looking down on that. So these real places of need and hurt and pain uh, that felt like a rejection of a person, can we can experience that in a setting as close as that or a boss or somebody that has authority, like you said. And the effect of that, if it's unchecked, can really create um, a a huge frustration in our life. Um, And yet what I would say is that um, this place of need, I think, is really important um, to acknowledge um, because I think the desire to, um, you know, to have perfect parents look back you're like, why wasn't my dad more present? Why why was my mom more loving or, or more understanding? Like, we can have these real resentments. Um, but that actually points to something deeper, which is this desire for a perfect love, for perfect parents, that, that God has actually placed in our heart, that we deserve that love, right, even though we're sinners ourselves. And so if we follow that real good desire, um, we can have the, you know, courage to, to bring this before the Lord and acknowledge what my needs are. Like, I... I need somebody to show me that I'm worth showing up for, like my dad never showed up or or whatever it was. Um, I have these these aching, like unresolved feelings about my insecurities because no one said I was good. I was only good if I did this or that, you know. Um, And all these needs can feel overwhelming, like we won't get past them. And then here we are asked to trust a God that we cannot see. I mean, that's a huge leap, right, for anybody, because it's not natural, so to speak. So I first want to, yeah, just say that acknowledging that need and knowing that a need can be taken two ways is important. A need can be a catalyst for great receptivity, right? We see this. There's there's different types of people in the world that can acknowledge that need and then receive what what God wants to give them in that place, or others who see, see that need and then use it kind of to, to their whole life drag it and demand things from others and not receive but kind of grasp in other ways and try to take care of themselves, right? So this need is not what holds us back ultimately. It's what we do with that need and the acknowledgement of that need. And when we feel no shame about this, this is nothing that we've done wrong maybe. And a lot of times it is 
simply the circumstances, and it can be uh, very hard to understand, you know, why God has allowed certain suffering. But when we see that God does not look at us with shame um, and, and say, goodness, like, you don't deserve to be loved. No, he says the opposite. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy burden, and I will give you rest. That if we, with courage, go to the Lord with this need, um, this can be the catalyst. And often when we see in the lives of the saints, it is the catalyst. It is a turning point when we, they, they know that they're loved, precisely when they feel the weakest, the, the most insecure. And I know this is true for my own life. Um, this is a powerful agent for not only wholeness, but sanctity. If we can learn that God actually has um, the capacity to fill our hearts and overflow our hearts when we feel so needy and so broken and so wounded, um, God's like, yeah, I am the answer to this, right? So I think, yeah, acknowledging that. And I think forgiveness also plays a part in in really allowing the openness of our hearts to receive because um, when we've been hurt, uh, this this resentment and this lack of forgiveness can really feel something there. And even if we want to be loved desperately, we don't realize we're kind of clamping that door down at the same time. So Jesus asks us to do something painful. Um, the, the road to, to healing isn't without pain, but to look at those places, acknowledge it, and then ask for the grace to really forgive because the forgiveness is going to be a huge leverage uh, to receive then God's love and say, oh my goodness, um, I don't want to be stuck in this place of resentment and dragging um, frustration for the rest of my life. I, I want to receive what is actually mine, that God gives us his love to restore my heart. Well, I'd like to go back to something you said there too, sister. Uh, God doesn't look at us with shame. And I think that's another thing where, you know, it could be from our upbringing. It could just be our own mm-hmm. guilt over things maybe we've done in the past. But how how do we how do we get to a point where we can look and say the shame that i feel is not representative of what god feels or uh sees when he looks at me how how do i how do i yeah. look with god's eyes at how he sees me mm-hmm. instead of how i see myself and all the disappointment i have with myself yeah that's it i love that it is so so important for, for this to really take off for that to be um, received and believed. My answer would be, I mean, it sounds kind of a bigger thing, but I can break it down a little bit, but really encountering Jesus in a personal way is, there's no other way around it, encountering God's love for me personally. So I really am a really big advocate of reading the Gospels, as simple as that sounds. I know a lot of people go to Mass on Sundays, even daily Mass, they're hearing the Gospels. But what Jesus says in his person, do we know the flavor of Jesus, so to speak? Do we know do we know him as far as this personal relationship of, you know, these, these cheesy things like, you know, what would Jesus do? But really, truly, like, when I'm encountering my day, like, what is Jesus thinking about? What is important to him versus what is important to me? Are those, are those anywhere near each other? What is God asking of me? Am I taking on responsibilities that are going to drive me up a wall and make me collapse. And he's not even asking those things, right? When we spend time in the Gospels and having some silent prayer time, reading his words and actually looking at them like, who is this person with a kind of a hunger to know him and asking for that grace to know him and honor him, those Gospels actually speak to us. He speaks to us. And those words are not falling on just a uh, a, a sheet of paper that's falling on a human heart and it has the power to transform our heart to, to kind of allow him to enter that space 
and um, bring us to a vision that is not just uh, him and me next to each other, but seen with his eyes, right? So especially when we have a place that we can name of shame that's specific, we can spend some time in silent prayer. Um, we can read the Gospels as well. But if we know that specific place of shame, we can bring that before the Lord and have a conversation like we would with a friend, you know. Um, maybe it's in your room, you know, in a private setting. Maybe it is before the Lord in the Blessed Sacrament, you know, going to adoration. And really letting him look at us in that place that we don't want to be looked at, right? This place of shame, failure, you know, rejection, abandonment, and saying, what do you say? Because I know what I say and what I think about myself here and what others have told me, but what do you say? We need to hear him say it to us. And that's a real voice. Jesus is a real person. And his love changes us. It changes us. And it's uh, sometimes imperceptible, but over time, it becomes um, almost a second nature in a certain sense. You know, this this um, freedom of, oh my gosh, I used to be so ashamed. Or when anybody said, brought that up, I would be embarrassed or I would leave the room. Now I'm not, you know, or, or whatever. It becomes, um, yeah, this experience of freedom and joy and peace where there was tension and anger and resentment and, yeah, that shame. Right. Well, and if there's something that we're experiencing shame over in our lives, it's probably because we're taking whatever it is that <laughs> that uh, God has designed for us. Mm-hmm. It might be a passion in our life, and we're just not using that in the way that God wants it to be used for his glory and for his kingdom. And if we are able to get to a place where we say, now I really am living out that passion in a rightly ordered manner, a right ordered way. That's true. Mm-hmm. It, it transforms that shame into the love and the joy that we can experience in that relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think confession is also a beautiful place of, um, I mean, in kind of a superficial way, affirmation, but a, a deep affirmation because we bring maybe things that we do feel shame about that are a healthy kind of shame. Like, I, I know I didn't do what I should have here, and I still did it. Um, and Jesus gives us a blessing. He loves us. He embraces us. I mean, that is so rectifying um, in the sense of learning that our worth isn't based on what we do. It's so freeing. It is. It really is a beautiful um, human meeting divine <laughs> and restorative experience. Uh, if we look at it with the eyes that he intends it, this, this reception of his mercy. Uh, talking with Sister Faustina Maria Pia today here on The Inner Life, and Sister Faustina is a sister with the Sisters of Life, and she ministers at Holy Respite. It's a house in Manhattan for women who are pregnant or recently pregnant. And talking about how we can understand our relationship with God so that we can grow in trust in God. And how has that been lived out in your life? What has helped you to be able to grow in that trust, especially maybe if you have been hurt in your past? Somebody who you should have been able to trust, they let you down. How were you able to move past that and have a better, proper understanding of who God is? Or maybe trusting God is really difficult for you, and you're not sure how to take some of those initial steps to be able to trust God. You're welcome to call in and speak with Sister Faustina, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Our email address, innerlifeatrelevantradio.com. Our conversation continues in just a moment here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. 
We receive hundreds of your phone calls every day, all thanks to the Catholic Order of Foresters studio line. Our sponsor offers flexible life insurance and annuities. Visit relevantradio.com slash Forrester today, an Illinois life insurance society not available in all states. Thanks for listening to this hour of The Inner Life here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Big thank you to Nick Sentovich and Thomas Engesser for their help as uh, producing in producing the program today. And I uh, want to invite you to call in as today we're talking about trusting God. Our spiritual director today is Sister Faustina Maria Pia. Uh, Sister Faustina is a sister with the Sisters of Life. She's based out of New York City. And again, talking about trusting God. Sometimes that can be extremely difficult. Uh, Maybe you are at a different point. Maybe it was difficult in your past and you've been able to grow in your trust. What has helped you? Our phone number to call in and speak with Sister, 888-914-9149. Sister, let's talk about uh, our feelings when it comes to trusting God, because we live in a culture right now that wants to make what you feel be the most important determining factor that informs all of your future decisions. And, you know, at the same time, God created us as feeling emotional beings. So there is obvious good that comes from our feelings and from our emotions. But, you know, we've kind of gone off the deep end here in our society with feelings dictating so much for so many people. What's the proper place, the proper role for our uh, following our feelings, allowing them to properly inform us, but not not giving them this like supreme rule in our lives to the point where we ignore other information, other data, other, you know, truth that should also help form our understanding of God and then lead us into trusting him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's important to know that feelings changed. I think no one would disagree with that. Feelings change. And when we're talking about trust and trusting some of the life and trusting God, uh, we really want to place a reliance on something that is sturdy. And feelings, we all have experienced this, are not sturdy. One day we are feeling really low and swayed. Another day we're feeling great. Um, Sometimes you know the reasons why that's happening. Other times uh, we're not even aware and we're just reacting uh, based off of it. Feelings are a a part of who we are as humans, as you said. So there isn't anything wrong with our feelings. Um, And I think there is a beautiful space here to kind of... um, be on the on-ramp, I guess, to real authentic relationship with the Lord is to acknowledge our feelings with Him. So we need to be aware of our feelings. I think um, a lot of people um, aren't really checking in to say, oh, how do I feel? They're just angry and they're acting from that place of anger. Uh, meanwhile, uh, stopping, slowing down, like, I'm just going to name what I'm feeling. <laughs> I'm angry. And do I know why I'm angry? And uh, are, are the actions that I'm taking today um, really deserving of, of the outcome? that kind of outburst or whatever. Or, so I think that we acknowledge what we're feeling is powerful because there could be really some good there. There could be something that gives us zeal or energy to fight for something. There could be um, a sadness that we really need to take time to grieve, you know, or there could be um, 
you know, an empathy, right? Feelings can be used for a beautiful good for ourselves and for others, but to acknowledge it and then to make that a real begin, I can begin my prayer even as I say, Lord, here I am. I'm feeling really restless right now and I'm scared of tomorrow or whatever we're feeling is a beautiful place to have an authentic relationship with anybody when we're talking about relationships. So um, at the same time, as you had mentioned, um, they don't have an authority as, as we know, because they're unchanging. I mean, because they are changing. And the truth of the fact that we are loved, that we are made good in God's image, that he calls us to eternity, that his love saves us and redeems us, we might not feel those things. We might be going into prayer and feel like no one's there. Is that how we should base our life, that no one is there because today I don't feel that? No. We have been given a beautiful capacity as humans for a reason and intellect, right, that can inform um, us and kind of our feelings are, are not going to always correlate with that. And we might make actions based on the feelings that really we'll regret, you know, and on a day when we're like, oh, my goodness, I, I shouldn't have, you know, because I was feeling that way. So I think um, the proper perspective is huge, and it gives us um, a, a real reason to live our humanity at the same time, not feel like a slave to our feelings, because the, the devil can influence our feelings and make us feel really sure. bad about ourselves. And that's a lie. You know, we shouldn't feel bad about ourselves. Like, God doesn't want us to be discouraged. So it's a kind of a dangerous playing ground to um, live based off of those. Right. You know, another thing as you're talking about this, it also makes me think of, uh, you know, I think anybody who's prayed, we've all had whatever we're praying for, at least something where God hasn't answered that prayer, at least not the way we want it answered. You know, Mm -hmm. if we're asking for God to provide something in our life, maybe there's, you know, we're praying for a miracle or for somebody to be healed that we love or whatever it is. You know, when when we don't get the answer we want, Mm -hmm. then it might make us reluctant to reach out and ask again, or it might make Mm -hmm. us focus on questions or doubts uh, regarding God. But I think it also kind of raises this question of, are we really asking for what lines up with God's will? And mm-hmm. uh, there's this part of St. James' letter that I remember reading years ago, and it just stuck out to me. And it's uh, in the fourth chapter of his letter in the New Testament, and he says, you do not possess because you do not ask, and you you ask but do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. And I think we can get discouraged when we ask for something that's not good for us spiritually. God response, of course, by telling us no. And then we develop this attitude, well, God isn't answering my prayer. Mm-hmm. But maybe can you talk about how how we can examine when we are mm-hmm. praying, if our requests, if our intentions, if they really do line up with God's will and what he wants for us? And if they don't, how do, how do we determine that? Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, I do think it's a great point, because if God always did what we asked for, we'd probably all be married to somebody in our second grade class. So <laughs> I really do think that there's, it's, it's, oh my goodness, it's a huge topic here though, in, in all seriousness, especially because people have very deep prayer intentions that still go unanswered, like you were saying, um, someone in their family that is sick and, and whatnot. Um, God, I love to think about this. God is uh, always giving us himself. He's always giving us himself. And so we ask for much less. I think it's the much, the, the way you just say it succinctly, um, 
we are kind of coming at things a bit half blind, so to speak, and we might be asking for something that is good. We might be asking for something that's also disordered, of course, but he's always looking for the best way to open our hearts into the depths and really bring an authentic counter of his love and his person there. Um, when we are praying for something, we feel something strongly. Again, this is a, a really, really good place for prayer um, to not just um, say, Jesus, I want this, but to explain why and to uh, ask for the grace to trust that he is at work powerfully in the situation. And I experience this a lot in the work that I do. A lot of um, messy situations, of course, in all of our lives and the inability to control them, honestly. And so when I feel this tension kind of rising in my heart, I'm like, Jesus, please come through with this. Help this woman, help this little child, right? And we have a great plan of how it could happen, right? And we're trying to maneuver and navigate yeah, I, that. I know how it should and, play out, right? Yeah. Right, right, right. And so when I feel that tension kind of because it's it's not um, necessarily bad things. It, and can, it, we can also create tension where we're striving after bad things. But when I feel that, I am starting to recognize it more and more. And I don't push through the day just carrying that burden, so to speak. I acknowledge and I say, Jesus, even if I'm walking up the stairs or I'm just kind of in the middle of my day, I say, Jesus, I trust what you are doing in that situation. I know you love this person more than I do. I trust that you have something in mind that this is not falling on me to carry, that you actually have a plan and help me to listen to it. Help me to receive it. Because I think we get frustrated when, yeah, it doesn't go our way. And we think that, oh my goodness, we've done something wrong or God is is not there. Um, But he ultimately might be and often shows us that there is a better plan, um, sometimes to be revealed in, in eternity, but a better plan for this person or ourselves uh, for this eternal happiness, for this eternal wholeness. And um, it takes a level of detachment. So I think saying that prayer, I trust what you're doing, and also asking for this grace of a detachment, so to speak, to say, help me to receive how how you are going to fulfill your plan and help me to be a part of that. Um, That detachment kind of opens the door to listening in a way that we haven't been before, and we're only kind of trying to cling to our plans. Sister, let's go to the phones. We've got Bernadette, who is calling in from San Francisco. Bernadette, welcome to The Inner Life. You're on the air. Thank you. I just want to say that my um, I've been recovering from hip surgery, and I just found out my husband has cancer, and so we're dealing with that. And I've been, you know, of course, watching all my tape shows on EWTN and, you know, on, on the Catholic. I know this is my, well, this is relevant radio, but I was watching a show from Father Gallagher on the Ignatian prayer. And I said, I've always been trying to do the Ignatian prayer and haven't been able to do it properly. I can't remember things. And he said, just start with gratitude every day. And so I've been doing that. And it's really helped me and it's made me focus. And what happened is led me to your show. <laughs> it's really weird. It's like he affirmed. I was listening to a show and I go, that's just not a show I want to listen to. So I said, I'm going to try relevant radio. And you were on Inner Life yesterday. And I'm like, I never heard of this. And uh, then on the commercial, and then you were talking about your husband's, and I had actually called him and didn't get on. But anyway, uh, one of the commercials was on um, how to pray. It's a series on the nation, and I'm like, that's just really funny because, you know, here I am, been dying to learn more about the Ignatian. He keeps leading me to it, and I feel it, the the key to trusting is gratitude. When you start focusing, and I've learned this through this whole last couple of weeks, that when I I have gratitude and I in all things, um, God's mercy is there, and He's been leading me to different shows, different books, different just quotes that is like. People are saying things to me. I'm like, wow, he is speaking to me. So sometimes it's not in our heart. 
but it's to other people and if we listen. And through gratitude has helped me through that. And the divine mercy, I say it every day. And many times I'm waking up at 3 o'clock and I don't even look at the watch and I kind of giggle. I go, I know it's 3 o'clock. And it's a 3 o'clock hour and I'll start saying the divine mercy chaplet. So um, I know he's with me and it's all through trust, but trust starting with gratitude because then you start seeing how he has worked through you. Yeah, that's beautiful, and I think God is giving you lots of grace. I think the encounter with Jesus and suffering, at first it's hard for people to make that jump into gratitude, but that is a grace that you receive deeply, and it will propel your heart, as you were saying, to a deeper trust because you know that he actually has been very good to you in the midst of even the sufferings and trials of this life, that that his goodness is, is bigger and deeper than all that. So that is beautiful. Thank you for sharing yeah, Bernadette, thank you for calling in and being part of the program. Uh, sister, as she's talking about, you know, looking, seeing those different moments that come out of having a heart of gratitude, I'm also thinking you have to make yourself open to be able to watch and perceive that those moments are there where God is working in your life. If you're so focused on, I, I just want this one thing, God. Mm-hmm. I want this one thing, and you you shut yourself off to all the other ways God might be working in your life. Well, of course you're going to be disappointed then. Um, mm-hmm. But if we allow ourselves to say, well, maybe God's not working here in the way I want at this moment, as I'm asking, but where else is he working? That right there, I think, can be a, a true way for us to uh, see his reality in our lives. Mm-hmm. Yes, and it does remind me of um, when she was speaking, Burnett was speaking of uh, Ignatian prayer, the prayer of the examine, of the daily review of the day. And you can pray that with a specific mindset to say, you know, um, where where did I not trust you? Where did I not see your goodness today? Where did I push you away and, and kind of trudge on in self-reliance? And um, so I think that it is a beautiful way to, to enter deeply into this relationship with God, to be able to live that gratitude and see him, be aware of his presence in our day. Uh, Sister, we're down to just a a minute and a half or so here, but I want to mention again your book, um, which is available from Emmaus Road Publishers. It's called Jesus, I Trust in You, a 30-day personal retreat with the litany of trust. I also wanted to ask here in the minute that we have left, um, you mentioned St. Pierre Giorgio. you, oh, I forget some of the other saints, but I was going to ask, yeah, anybody that you might recommend if somebody is saying, I really want to grow in trust, I I just don't know where to look for maybe an example or some advice, some insight. Any any thoughts on somebody who can help us look towards the trust in God that we should have? I have to be biased here and say St. Faustina only because the, <laughs> the, the she God made her this vessel of trust and she will she has everything invested in helping us souls to learn trust. So I do think anybody, even from the Old Testament, there's amazing. Abraham is one of my favorites as well. Um, and the early church. The early church had tremendous trust and right. and really banked everything on what Jesus had shown them and done for them. And So I do think your patron saint is no coincidence. And every saint, since they exemplify trust, you can go to your patron saint and say, for no reason of, of my making this this saint wants to reach out to me and teach me how they trusted so that's, that's also a great that's pathway. beautiful yeah well sister we're out of time thanks so much for being here with us today beautiful conversation hope to talk to you again in the future stay tuned mass starts right now here on relevant radio <laughs> 